if we let Advent do its work, which Mm. is to slow us down and to invite us to tell the truth about the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our own hearts, then I think it becomes less one more thing to do to make ourselves good people Mm. and an invitation into the grace and the redemption of Christ. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hello and Merry Christmas, everyone. My name is Benjamin Quinn. And I'm Nathaniel Williams. Welcome to the 2022 Christ and Culture Christmas Special Part 2. So settle in, grab a cup of hot cocoa or apple cider, sit next to the tree for a festive time of celebrating the Christmas season with us. I think I'm going to grab a uh, cup of uh, warm coffee, just a slight bit of almond milk. Yeah. That's what I've got as, yeah. as we're going to celebrate Christmas. Do you ever mix Christmas. your coffee with hot cocoa this time of year? You know, hot I chocolate? don't. I'm not really a hot cocoa guy. Okay, I so to say I've never that. done it until like a few weeks ago. And I did it, just happened to, to stop in at a little a little place where they're selling coffee and hot cocoa. I said, just mix it. Let's see how it goes. Better than I thought. There you go. Benjamin Quinn's uh, <laughs> Christmas hot cocoa recipes. We'll put that in the uh, upcoming Christ and Culture cookbook. Uh, yes, yes, very much upcoming. <laughs> you can buy it on our website. Anyway, today is a special episode. We're going to talk to Hannah and Nathan Anderson about art, about Advent, and about their new book called Heaven and Nature Sing. After that, we're going to have a special Christmas-themed edition of On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines, like news, sports, pop culture, or business, from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, let's talk about Christmas movies. Christmas movies. Few things get us in the mood for the Christmas season, like a good Christmas movie. And this year, like every year, we have a new selection of Christmas movies to pick from. Here to discuss with us is Daniel Pandolf. Daniel wears many hats. He's a husband, father, Bible teacher, founder, and CEO of Ministry Assistance Services. And most relevant to today's conversation, he loves Christmas movies, just about more than anyone else I know. In fact, for four years, he was the co-host of the Christmas movie podcast called Deck the Hallmark. Daniel, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Nathaniel. I'm so pumped to be here, man. All right. You've surveyed the Christmas movie landscape. What new Christmas movies should we be aware of this year? So listen, every year, there's just so many great movies that come out. And, you know, Hallmark always is putting out 40. Lifetime does, I don't know, 30, some of these movies. Uh, But, you know, I actually want to deviate and kind of pivot from those. And I want to talk about a Christmas TV show, two of them, that you should watch. And the first one is Spirited. On eight, uh, on I think it's on Apple TV, uh, Apple Plus. You've got Ryan Reynolds, you got Will Ferrell, you've got a musical. Uh, it, it, what more could you possibly want for just happiness and joy? It's hilarious, and it's totally worth your time to check it out. Okay, what's the other one? Uh, the other one that I really like is the Santa Clauses on Disney Plus. Uh, if you are a fan of the movie The Santa Claus and the you know trilogy, the greatest trilogy, well, Christmas, greatest tr- Christmas trilogy. 
you have Star Wars in there, so I don't think we can include it as the greatest trilogy of all time. Uh, greatest trilogy of all time? I don't know. I got overly excited with my words because I am pumped about the Santa Claus. Don't get me wrong. The Santa Claus is, carries on that whole uh, storyline, which is great. Tim Allen's always a, a classic, and he's a hoot. Um, if you're wanting to check out a Hallmark movie, the highest rated uh, Hallmark movie this year is called Three Wise Men and a Baby, and it's got three of the top Hallmark male actors in a comedy, which is great. I don't think Hallmark's ever done anything with that much star power. They have Tyler Hines, Andrew Walker, and Paul Campbell, which is like three of their big Hallmark hunks, so to speak, all in one movie, which is ridiculous. That much star power for a Hallmark movie, it's, it's just like, it's, it'll melt your screen, is my understanding. <laughs> melt your screen. <laughs> Well, uh, we have it on good authority that the, the Santa Claus Christmas trilogy is uh second greatest trilogy of all time. I didn't know of all that. time. Fact. Okay, very good. All right. Well, you're you, you love Christmas movies. Help us settle a couple debates. We've had some debates around the office about sure. Christmas movies. Dr. Keith Lee is over here uh, really bringing his opinions about Christmas movies. Help us understand what is the best Christmas movie? The best Christmas movie of all time. Um, man, this is a great question because there's so many, you know, classics out there. For me personally, I think It's a Wonderful Life is the best Christmas movie of all time. You have amazing performances by my James Stewart. You have amazing performances by everyone, but also you have a movie that really leans into the meaning of life and it it, it probes I think very much the human condition of what is my life worth. And so for me, it's a wonderful life it is the, the best Christmas movie of all time. I just, that's one of those movies I watch every single year. It's mandatory viewing and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's the best. I think Dr. Keithley would agree with you. I think last year he actually said the same thing. So you guys would be well, he's right. on that one. Well, he's, he's, he's a good guy. And so I appreciate that about Dr. <laughs> okay. Keithley. He's the man. He's the man. What is the most underrated Christmas movie? Okay, so this is tricky because there's I'm going to go on a movie that no one talks about, but really needs to be in on this conversation. And it's a newer movie. And I don't think people really know about it, but it's on Netflix right now. And it's called and it's a Netflix original and it's called Jingle Jangle. Uh, and it is wild, man. Like it is an unbelievable set piece that they do it is a musical as well, but the dance numbers and the choreography, and I think even really the, the deeper idea of what they're trying to accomplish of what is Christmas about and capturing your childhood dreams. I, there's something great about that movie and there's some really fun performances in it as well. Um, and it's, it is a movie that resists easy answers a lot of times in it while at the same time being, just pure fun for people to watch. And so in my opinion, Jingle Jangle is chronically underrated. No one talks about it because it really didn't, a lot of people knew about it when it came out, didn't get a lot of press, but you could, you should definitely check it out. It's great. Okay. So, so Jingle Jangle, underrated. Yep. What is the most overrated Christmas movie? Okay. Um, the one everyone talks about, but it's actually not as good as people say it is. You know, it's Polar Express. That is the creepiest Christmas movie of all time, man. <laughs> Completely agree. Okay, so no joke. Earlier in the day, we had a conversation with Dr. Keithley, and he agrees with you. I think you guys would be on the same wavelength here for movies. It's uh, Christmas Zombies, I think is what Polar Express is. Well, have you ever, like, I, I don't know what was going on with that whole time period. Like, I, you could tell we were really trying to break new ground with animation, and what we ended up getting was essentially a bunch of walking CGI that had no life whatsoever and it's in the eyes man like the eyes are just so disturbing and creepy it's a movie that will give you nightmares more than i think give you the christmas spirit so maybe christmas. that's that's the best way of describing it the, 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 the christmas movie that gives you christmas nightmares yeah very good daniel you and i know that christmas isn't only about the snow or about the feels or about the presents ultimately 
Christmas is about Christ. So for you, what movie best captures the meaning of the season? Yeah, Die Hard. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> uh, that is a great question. What is the one that kind of encapsulates the Christmas spirit the most? And you know, if we're going to get into that debate and we're going to get into that question, um, you have to ask, should we include the TV movies or not? Because if we do, it's got to be Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, I mean, going to see just reads directly from the Christmas story, which I think encapsulates the heartbeat of Christmas perfectly. So, uh, but if we're not going to include the TV specials, if we're going to just talk about the movies, let's kind of keep our focus on the past 30 years. And there's not a ton of movies that I think really embody the, the storyline of Christ well, uh, outside of the typical sentimentality that you might see around the season. There's a bunch of movies that are fine, but, you know, really capturing something deeper about, you know, what is, the calling of humanity on some level, on a deep level, and what is our spiritual calling? There's not a lot there. How does this align with Christ? There's not as much, but I do want to highlight one movie that I think goes deeper, and I a movie that I think is profound, um, and it's a recent movie, and it's called Klaus, uh, and K-L-A-U-S, and, and I'm not German, so I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but that was, it's this wonderful picture of Santa from a different lens than we're used to. Um, and it's not really about Santa, but at the same time, it has its deeper roots in what is the stories that we tell that make sense of our world. Um, and I don't want to spoil it because what they do is absolutely magical. It's wonderful and it's thought provoking. And it isn't necessarily a movie that ends on the happiest level, but at the happiest, you know, ending, so to speak. But it's not sad. I wouldn't call it bleak. It's a happy, it's a, it's a movie that you can watch with your family. But at the same time, it doesn't give you easy answers. It resists easy answers. And at the same time, also gives you a lot of thought provoking questions of, of what is the purpose of the stories that we tell and how do they shape our lives? And I think when we start talking about Advent and we're asking the question, what's the purpose of Advent? How does Advent shape us? And I think uh, that Advent is both forward-looking and, and back-looking. We're looking back at the past and we're looking at the arrival of Jesus Christ for the first time. And we're also looking ahead to his return. And so Klaus kind of gave me those ideas to think about and ponder about how those stories shape me as a person. And I think it is worth checking out. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. I cried at it. Full disclosure, I was on an airplane when I first saw I was traveling. I think it was to California uh, to do some podcast uh, meet and greets. And I was there in the middle of an airplane, just crying my eyes out because it was so good. I absolutely <laughs> wow. love it. So uh, I don't know if that's a high recommendation, uh, but I typically don't cry at movies. So for it to, to get me tearing up, it's well worth your time to check out. So Klaus, if it got Daniel crying, Klaus. it'll get you crying. Yeah, uh, that's, that's it. That's the takeaway day. Daniel, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hopping on. How can people find you and follow your work? Oh, yeah, man. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, the best way to check out uh, what I'm doing is go to ministryassistantservices.com. We're a virtual assistant company that helps churches and nonprofits get connected with virtual assistant work. And uh, I'm the CEO. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you. We can talk Christmas movies, but also maybe some of the needs that your uh, ministry or church might be needing. And uh, I'd love to help you out and see what we can do to, to work with you in the future. So that's the best way of checking me out. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel, and have a very Merry Christmas. You too, Nathaniel.
As we continue our Christ and Culture Christmas episode, we're especially delighted to welcome back to the podcast Hannah Anderson, but today alongside her husband, Nathan Anderson. If you're not familiar with Hannah and Nathan's work, I strongly encourage you to run to Amazon or wherever you prefer to buy your books and check out their work. I'm especially excited for the last couple of books that you guys have done where Hannah does most of the writing, but Nathan does the drawing, the illustrating. And that, to be honest with you, for a guy who has to read a lot of books, but not a lot of books with pictures, I really look forward to picking up y'all's books. So thank you for your work. Let me give just a little more uh, introduction here. Nathan and Hannah Anderson live in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, just outside of Roanoke. Hannah is a writer and podcaster, and Nathan is an artist. And relevant to our conversation today is their new book called Heaven and Nature Sing, 25 Advent Reflections to Bring Joy to the World. And given that I truly believe this is the best time of the year, I was thrilled to see you guys write this book. Thank you for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're glad to be with you again. Let me jump in. Um, Hannah, I'll ask you this question first. The book is an Advent devotional. I'm a Baptist. I think you guys are Baptists as well. Baptists have historically not not referred to Christmas season as Advent that much, but tell us, what is Advent? Is this just a synonym for Christmas or does it mean something more? You know, I love that that's the first question because it was some of my first question when uh, over the last few years, I think we've seen a lot more people celebrating Advent, referring to Advent, and coming from the traditions that we both grew up in, Advent was not a piece of our holidays. You know, for us, Christmas season kind of started right after Thanksgiving. Um, It maybe started a few weeks er earlier when we'd start prepping cantatas or the children's Christmas program or all of that run up to the kind of traditions and celebrations we might have in the church. And so um, when I was growing up, Advent was maybe at best just kind of like a countdown to Christmas. It might start December 1 and you might get like an Advent calendar with a little piece of candy behind a door or you might have some kind of countdown clock. And um, historically, though, Advent is more about a preparation for Christmas. Um, It's the four Sundays before Christmas, the four weeks before Christmas. And historically, this would have been a time devoted to reflecting on why we even need a Savior. So it's a season that's kind of devoted to thinking about our need, our brokenness, the longing, um, not just for Christ's first coming, but also for his second coming. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of a layered season. Um, We've found as we've grown older and started to become more familiar with the season of Advent, that what's what we're trying to preserve is what we all long for, which is to keep Christ in Christmas. I think we do say that as Baptists. And so this is just a way to kind of turn our minds back on why we even need Jesus to come for us um, with salvation and hope in the Christmas season. Yeah, well said. And you're exactly right. As you were talking, I was remembering the multiple times that in my home or even I was already dating my wife in middle school and then into high school and would go to her house. And it was the countdown to Christmas was basically how quickly can we get through the first 24 days so we can get to kind of Santa Claus or whatever we're doing, the gift giving on the 25th. And, and there were all of the, uh, you, you untie, in fact, at my, at my now wife's house, there was always this untie a dollar for every day, but sometimes there'd be multiple dollars woven in there, whatever the case was, but it was kind of a, how, how fast can we get past those days? They seem so long. We're really trying to get to present today. And instead now with Advent, it sounds like what you're trying to reclaim. And certainly what I want to reclaim is I want to soak in that season instead of try to rush past that season just to get to Christmas day. Is that, is that fair for what you're doing? 
Yes. And it's, it's a way to help us begin to think about um, all the storyline of the scripture that leads up to Christmas too. Yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to do in the book is to bring readers through the story that begins in Genesis yeah. and leads us all the way up to the gospel accounts of Jesus birth, because there's a lot of things that are happening that are in preparation um, yeah. for the coming of Jesus. And so as I was working on the book, I was thinking, how can I lead readers through both the gospel story, but also maybe these weeks before Christmas would kind of parallel that process for them so that when Christmas finally comes, there would be a fullness or a richness that maybe we wouldn't experience if we were really packing those weeks with celebrations and all kinds of busyness beforehand. Yes. Thank you for mentioning busyness. We might have to come back to that one. Nathan, I want to turn to you because this is, I think it's the second book, at least that I know of, that you've illustrated uh, alongside your wife, Hannah. The first one was called The Turning of Days, Lessons from Nature, Season, and Spirit. Um, tell me a little bit about just kind of your history as an artist and how did you guys come to wanting to to kind of do this together? Art, that is the visual art plus the literary art of writing. Yeah, so I grew up in a, both a home and a community that valued all of the arts. The community I grew up in is in the mountains and it was more of like folk art, lots of Uh, music, handcrafts, those kind of things were celebrated. My family are all in some way, some kind of an artist, both my parents and my sister is probably a better artist than I am, uh, to be honest. And so I've always been around art and in our public school uh, where I grew up, everybody wanted to take art because it's an easy A. But I took like every art class that they offered just because I loved it. And it was probably a a way to express myself and to really value beauty and the creative process that, that I enjoyed so much. But then, you know, I get into college, a career paths, become an adult. And I really didn't do a lot of art for, you know, probably the first half of our marriage, I guess. And Hannah always, as a good wife, always said I had the potential and she wanted to draw that out, I guess, uh, no pun intended. And, um, <laughs> and so when she was talking about turning of days, it just kind of fell into place. It was uh, just nature illustrations. And, and it was just a sweet spot for me to, even for this book, to be able to draw and express art and beauty, but to do it uh, with a focus on the natural revelation. Because I grew up in the woods, in the forest, you know, dirt road. So I love, <laughs> I, I love being out in the woods and, and yeah. being in nature. So it was just a perfect thing for us to do together. Well, it was, it was fun to see you. I didn't realize that you were an artist before the Turning of Days book came out, but I remember reading Hannah in one of your other books, and, and I forget which one it was in, but it's an illustration where you were talking about just how you kind of experience life day to day and how sometimes it's hard to kind of turn off the busyness and the stress and the anxiety. But I remember you giving an illustration about Nathan, who uh, a season when he was a full-time pastor at that time, and you said it was like he could put the work down and just go outside, and it's like it all went away, and you were super jealous of that. And so when, when I started to see your, your art, uh, Nathan, and it was particularly nature inspired art, I thought this is a man who knows the woods, who likes to be outside. I, I want to turn that then into a question, Nathan. How do you think about art, at least the, the art that you do as a means of worshiping the Lord? And how would you even instruct other young artists in that kind of thought? I think God as, as he, as an expression of the being of God is that it's creative. Like, 
the first expression is an expression of creativity and an expression of art. And, and we know that the creation was beautiful. That is like the main source or the first source of art and beauty. And I think being in God's image, all of us in some respects are creative and we are making different things like uh, software and automobiles and architects who are making buildings. And so I think part of the way we reflect God is a creative and an artistic God. Mm. And I think buried deep in all of us is a desire to create and a desire to see beautiful things that mm. we create. Even children, you know, they, they scribble something on a piece of paper and they run to mom and dad and say, hey, look at what I made. Can you celebrate this with me? And can you put it on the yeah. refrigerator? Yeah. And so I see art as intrinsic in all of us, but some of us are gifted with different kinds of art. And I think we need to find the talent that we've been given by God and then offer that back as an expression of worship, but not focus on us, but focus on, you know, bringing beauty to everybody around us. What I really like about the natural world is like, Everywhere you look in nature, it's beautiful in its own way because it's created by God. Even if you live in a city and you're not surrounded by the forest, you can't like be in the woods and see the animals all the time. There are birds and there's clouds and there's rain and there's weather and there's plants and there's bugs and there's other human beings and pets. Nature is all around us if we just stop and look. And I think nature is beautiful, even in the, the damaged and brokenness of nature as, as we see it. I love that. So the title of the book is In Heaven and Nature Sing. And of course, one of the favorite Christmas songs is Joy to the World. The Lord has come. What does it mean then that the Lord has come to his creation and to this world? Hannah, I'll, I want to turn that question back to you. Yeah, so that's a line I hope folks will recognize from Joy to the World, um, which was actually an Advent hymn kind of coming full circle here. We sing it at Christmas time. Um, it was originally intended for this season of Advent and the historical kind of celebration of the longing, um, not just for the first coming of Christ, but for the second coming of Christ. So when we sing Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Um, we're, we're singing Isaac Watts' words about the lordship of Jesus over his creation as yeah. the creator, as yeah. the one who was in the beginning, who was the word, who is the firstborn of all creation in his humanity, who is reissuing the new creation through his death and resurrection. So that's the, the theology behind the call of joy to the world, let, you know, heaven and nature sing. And as I was thinking about that and kind of meditating on that as an Advent call, mm. I had this moment of thinking, well, what if we took that very literally? What if we understood the cosmic nature of redemption and we believe that the creator had come to his creation, that in the incarnation, he was coming to redeem us as image bearers, but he was also coming into the world that he had made. And what would that mean if we kind of pulled on that thread? So, so that's yeah. the impulse behind the book of really focusing on the natural elements of the Christmas story to say, what if all of a sudden the creator shows up within his own creation and, and how do we respond to that? But how is the world around us responding to that? How are they rejoicing? How are the stones crying out? As Jesus said, um, you know, if we're silent, even the stones will cry out. So that's kind of the the pull behind that language and the story yeah. behind picking the title. 
Nathan, you had to be excited. I'm curious whose idea was this first. Hannah, was this was this you? Like, I want to write an Advent uh, devotional. And Nathan, of all the things that you could illustrate by way of your art, uh, heaven and nature sing, I've got to hear kind of how that conversation went. Yeah, I think it it came out of, so one of, probably one of Hannah's highlight books has been Humble Roots, and that's resonated with a lot of people. And so when Turning of Days kind of touched back into that natural world element, and we produced that book, we were actually thinking of, this is part of a large conversation. It's not just a one-time artifact that Hannah's going to produce and it's going to sit on somebody's shelf, but we wanted to be part of a large conversation about creation care, about Christians expressing their faith in, in, in the natural world, a revisiting of natural revelation in conjunction with mm-hmm. special revelation of the Bible. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of conversations that are going on here. And I think we as Christians kind of get siloed and we we stop talking to each other because of whatever. And, and so we actually, when we did Turning of Days, we had envisioned several books and several several different resources to resource this conversation about the natural world. But yeah, so there's more to come. We didn't know it would come this quickly or take this iteration. But as we were thinking about resourcing the conversation, um, right away in my mind, the theological basis for that entire conversation is the incarnation. And so it made sense to begin with an Advent or a Christmas book, because that's where we begin to understand the theology we need to enter into natural revelation, new creation, all of those other conversations we're hoping to resource. And and to Nathan's point, it feels like um, an invitation to unify a lot of conversations that have been kind of siloed. So there's a deep Christological conversation here um, about the incarnation, about the nature of Christ's work and new creation. There's a a conversation about spiritual formation and discipleship and pastoring because we're such disembodied creatures. We're, We're detached not only from the natural world, but from our own material creatureliness. So yeah, to Nathan's point, uh, there's more to come. This is just uh, series two, the next installment. <laughs> that's ex- that's really exciting. I'm glad to know there's more to come. And to your point, Anna, here we are in, in our uh, particularly Western culture, we have Christmas, or if you, if you will, Advent stuck at the very end of our calendar, but actually in the Christian calendar, it's the beginning of the calendar. It's how we actually start the year as Christians. And we got to, I want to reclaim that. I'm not, I'm not looking to lobby for the federal government to switch the calendars around entirely. I am, however, encouraging Christians to rethink how we relate to space and time in light of the life of Christ. And why not begin the year instead of end the year with the greatest coming of all time, which also hearkens our hope even to a further coming, a second coming uh, in the future. Okay, coming back to this busyness theme, I'm glad that you brought that up, Hannah. So for so many of our listeners, and myself included, Christmas can be a very busy, sometimes sadly, and even dreaded time. How can we carve out time to reflect on the significance of this season? The first thing I want, and I tried to establish this right at the beginning of the book, is that Advent is an invitation, not an obligation. So I want to tell folks, this is your permission to slow down 
and to reflect and to even maybe long and lament in a season where you're Mm. told you have to have this ecstatic joy. So one Mm. of the pressures of the holiday season is the ability to maintain um, celebration, which both includes busyness and your kind of emotional equilibrium of being really, really happy for like four to six weeks solid, which is just humanly not sustainable. (laughs) And so what Advent invites us into is a slower longing, even lament about all the ways that we are broken and all the ways that our holidays aren't perfect and our families aren't perfect and our world isn't perfect. And this is our opportunity before Christmas not to get caught up in all Mm. of that. And yeah. I think we we need the explicit kind of modeling that comes in Advent, that comes even through the Psalms of saying, you know what, we absolutely can stop. We don't have to do that extra thing. We can pause. We can tell the truth about how hard this is, yeah. how hard it is to miss people at this time of year, how hard the fragmentation is. Um, and so if we let Advent do its work which is to slow us down and to invite us to tell the truth about the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our own hearts, then I think it becomes less one more thing to do to make ourselves good people Mm. and an invitation into the grace and the redemption of Christ. So you've touched on this a little bit already, but I want to ask you to press in just a little bit further for a minute here on formation. So I love that language you just said of let Advent do its work, even the longing and the lamenting of maybe uh, not being so busy or saying no to certain commitments or what might feel like obligations. Can you both press in a little bit more to the kind of formative nature of Advent and maybe even what you're hoping people might receive from this book? Well, I'll just offer this real quick as a historic kind of background to Advent. Traditionally, the celebrations of Christmas wouldn't even begin until Christmas Eve, and then it would move forward um, into the new year. So you'd have your 12 days of Christmas starting at Christmas, not after Thanksgiving. So this season historically was not filled with celebration and partying and all the things that we do now. And so in the back of my mind, even as a mom or, you know, if I get overwhelmed in those first few weeks, I just kind of say, well, historically, we wouldn't even be doing this much business (laughs) and give myself permission not to enter into everything that's expected of me in this moment. So you heard it here first, folks. If you've already put up your Christmas decorations, shame on you. I'm just kidding. As a person who is, um, you know, particularly late on everything and have a bad (laughs) sense of time. I just like to tell myself I'm being historic that I haven't gotten any of these things done yet. Um, But but it really was um, delayed kind of in the same way that Lent would delay Easter. So you'd have this Mm -hmm. space both to prepare and to wait and to long, and then the celebration would come. So I think just having permission to realize that our current celebration models are not, they're relatively new. Um, they're relatively new in the last 100, 150 years. Yeah, the point about waiting, I think, is is really, really important. And this is something that we can 
celebrate and even kind of repurpose a bit as, as kids sort of wait. And, and, you know, we talk about slow as Christmas because they're so anxiously waiting for kind of presence day. But I like to grab a hold of that, even as my kids were younger, I like to grab hold of that and say, imagine then being, you know, a child of Abraham or the ch- a part of the children of Israel before the coming of the Messiah, how long they waited, waiting on Messiah to come. And let's remember that. Let's feel that. Let that even form us a bit. I think another point, too, about timing, because we talked about the kind of waiting, the lament. Um, one of the reasons I think the natural world is so significant to this conversation, for all the theological reasons that we talked about, but from a spiritual formation standpoint, the natural world does not disrupt its cycles and rhythms the way we have. So we have the digital age, we have electricity, and so we are often living outside of very human limits. It's a very inhumane um, season that we are in historically, but the natural world operates in very steady, stable, 24 hour rhythms, yeah. you know, for yeah. se- like where we are for seasonal rhythms. And there are other different seasonal rhythms in different geographies, but that kind of stability of a backdrop of just you know what? Doesn't matter what's happening. This is just going to be the cycle we turn on. Um, and yeah. so I think for us who are very disembodied and very detached from time and space and awareness of that, nature kind of brings us back to that sense of, you know, everything could be going crazy around you, but the sun still rises and it still sets yes. on very predictable patterns. One of the parts of this conversation that we want to encourage is the, the, the Christian study of natural revelation. Nature was God's first expression of all that is true and wonderful and glorious about him. And not that I am going to like slight the Bible, but we, as as particularly the the streams of Christianity we are in, it is like the Bible gets elevated above everything else. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but we have forgotten a huge part of God's ability to communicate with us Mm. in natural revelation. And so they say the same thing. And like Hannah is saying of the cycles of, of, of life and death and rebirth are everywhere in creation. Like yeah. even, even the waiting and longing that we're experiencing now is in our Northern hemisphere where we live, it's going to be winter where everything is dying and we are waiting in anticipation for what's coming next. And so we yeah. just want to, we just want people to say, Hey, you know, the natural world is saying the same thing that the, the, the specific revelation is, and, and, and we can rejoice in both of them. Yeah, it's almost as though the heavens declare the glory of God and the yeah. skies proclaim his handiwork. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've read absolutely. that somewhere. I think that's yeah. true. Guys, thank you so much for your your time, for your work. I want to highlight uh, both of your work a little bit more. So Hannah is author of Made for More, also Humble Roots, also All That's Good. And then her and Nathan together's most recent book is Heaven and Nature Sing, which is written by Hannah, illustrated with artwork by Nathan. Hannah, how else, and Nathan, how else can folks follow your work? Well, they can find me at my blog, um, sometimeslight.com, and that will take them to all my different social media platforms. Um, Nathan, you're on Instagram. You're yeah, I'm on Instagram there. is where I share a lot of my work. I'm also on Twitter a little bit. I'm basically on social media to have a relationship with Anna. <laughs> I understand. I understand. We'll, we will, uh, 
We will place those things in our show notes <laughs> so our, our folks can go and find those things. Uh, Hannah, I really do love your work. Nathan, I was so proud to see your, uh, your illustrations in there as well. And I look forward to, especially with respect to Advent, I look forward to round two coming yes. soon. I hope. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. Thanks for having us. Now it's time for the listener favorite segment on my bookshelf. And this week we're going to shake it up a little bit. Ordinarily, we are interviewing professors or uh, sometimes staff or maybe other guests who are in. But today we're going to ask people from our own staff, our own team, who work tirelessly behind the scenes. You might hear us refer to them now and then, or if you're on campus for a Center for Faith and Culture event, you might meet them. We want to ask them about their favorite books related to Christmas, and we hope you'll enjoy it. My name is Lisa McNeely, and I serve as the administrative assistant at the Center for Faith and Culture. My favorite Christmas book is a classic by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. I think most of us probably know the story, so the reason why I really love it is I see myself in the main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, who's often been described as a miserly protagonist. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we see that we really fit that description, whether it's miserly with our finances, or miserly with our love. And then of course the story is beautiful because through his brokenness and humility and looking back on his life, he comes to redemption. And that's through the spirit of Christmas, of course, in the story, but for us believers, of course, we know that is the Holy Spirit renewing us and giving us new life. And I love that he is not young, that he totally changes. So there's always hope, which is the message of Christmas. My name is Megan Dickerson, and I serve as the grant administrator at the Center for Faith and Culture. One of my favorite Christmas books is called Christmas Night, Fair and Bright by Julie Stiegmeier. I love this book because it's a, an illustrated poem for children, and on every page and every stanza, they say, Our Savior Born for Us. And on one page, the stanza is about Easter, and so our Savior is born to die and born to suffer. And so we don't disconnect Easter and Christmas. The, the same Savior, born from a virgin womb, uh, was born again, was resurrected from a virgin tomb. And that helps me remember that, and it helps me to talk about that with my kids. My name is Gabe McGann, and I serve as the Dancer Fellow at the Center for Faith and Culture. My favorite Christmas book is The Polar Express by Chris Van Alsberg. This book transports me into my childhood. I remember the year that I got money to go to the Scholastic Book Fair, and I bought this book, not because of the content, not because of the book, but because it came with a bell because there was a toy with it, but it ended up becoming my favorite book because of what was in it, encouraging people to believe, and it's just a beautiful book. My name is Nathaniel Williams, and I serve as the editor and content manager at the Center for Faith and Culture. My favorite Christmas book is a book called The Homecoming by Earl Hamner. This book is about a young man who's growing up in rural Virginia mountains during the Depression. It's snowy outside. It's Christmas Eve. They're waiting for Dad to come home. And in a lot of ways, it feels like the perfect Advent book because they're longing for their father to come home. And through a series of various adventures, he finally does. But it's short, it's beautiful. It was actually the inspiration for the show that was called The Waltons. 
But the book is called The Homecoming by Earl Hamner. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. And if so, please give us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share it with a friend. Merry Christmas to all of you. We will be off for a couple of weeks, but we can't wait to see you again in the new year. And until then, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.